I generally sit down every day, um, not necessarily to write a poem, not at all to write a poem, uh, but usually writing something. You know, it's maybe only for an hour, maybe half an hour, an hour, maybe a couple of hours. I'm Diana O'Connor. Welcome to the Dingle Lit Podcast. Diagwit agus falta dan podcrail fela litterha corfiguina. Each year, at the end of November, Dingle Lit Book Festival brings together a unique weekend programme of events in English and Osgwelga on the Dingle Peninsula. In this episode of the Dingle Lit podcast, you're in for a treat, with Pulitzer Prize-winning poet Paul Muldoon speaking to Nicholas McLaughlin and reading from his recent book, Howdy Kelp. Sitting down for a chat in the Dingle bookshop, they take a journey around the places that influenced Muldoon's life and poetry, from his love of Kerry to growing up on the border of Armagh and Tyrone in Northern Ireland. I thought we'd start where we are, i.e. in West Kerry, and perhaps work from there. Maybe up, up towards the border and across into County Armagh, um, further afield, and then out to perhaps New Jersey and the Delaware. Sounds like a great plan. I have to say that uh, I would quite happily begin over there and work my way back here. I mean, this is a place to which I feel particularly attached. And I've felt attached to it really from as from the first time I came to Dingle, which was in the wake, like so many, in the wake of uh, Ryan's daughter. And that was in the very early 70s. Um, and I came back and forth over the years. And then in 1986, I actually lived in, in Dingle for most of that year. And, uh, you know, I've, I feel very attached to this place. It's as if everything is here, you know, whether one's interested in, in the history in uh, geology, um, in uh, language, um, it's all here. And um, I, I'm, it's an extraordinary place. And I can imagine indeed <laughs> coming back here. I'm, I'm not quite sure if I'd ever ma manage it, but I certainly uh, can easily imagine living in Dingle or out west, as we say. What I thought I'd do, just in, to honor that, if I may, is the pack shot, is to read a poem or two from this uh, collection, which is called Kerry Slides. Kerry Slides, of course, are um, uh, that's a, it's a kind of uh, music um, a form, a form of uh, Irish music, the Kerry Slide. Um, but in this case, it was presented as a series of photographs, slides, in that sense. And there were photographs by Bill Doyle, who's a great f uh, photographer who since uh, moved on, but. I did a lot of work for the Irish Times. So these are little imagistic poems. I, funnily enough, I, was, I thought of this one as I was driving in yesterday by Anna Scall. Um, and I, I, was always, I, I was always kind of amused by the, the idea of a wall around a graveyard. So this is a little um, poem about that. Twilight, the graveyard at Anna Scall. Its six-foot-high wall is hardly about to keep anyone in and no one out. Which I'm sure you realise is pretty deep, pretty deep stuff. But in any case, um, I'm just amused by the height of that wall. Um, in any case, let me see. Um, 
Here's another little um, Im imagistic poem um, which uh, refers to, well, actually, this one refers to a cocktail that was served in one of the local uh, bars during the 1980s. There was a famous shipwreck out there, the Ranga, which was washed ashore out back near Kumino, I believe it was, and uh, and and lay there uh, for quite a few years on the rocks. Um, so uh, I was amused just by the the um, pun, the, the pun uh, in the name of this alcoholic beverage, this cocktail. So a fisherman nurses his ranga on the rocks, the rusty cocktail named after a shipwreck, then knocks it back, the actual. So again, short little imagistic poems. I've always been fascinated by the Japanese tradition and, and indeed the extent to which, as Kuno Mayer once um, pointed out, the extent to which the early Irish um, poems, um, so many of them, the nature poems, um, you know, are of a piece with that imagistic tradition. So this is six sods of turf fell out of Peg's basket. She bent to gather them up, the blaskets. And that's Peg Sayers, of course. And Peg's uh, old woman's reflections, or however it's translated, you know, just one of the remarkable series of books that came from, uh, I don't even know if I mentioned uh, literature earlier on. I mean, the literature from this part of the world, <clears throat> from the uh, early uh, 20th century, and then right through the 20th century, uh, has been quite remarkable. So um, I'm blaring on about Dingle. I, <laughs> I'm a Dingle, a Dingle fan. No, and you've been here on a few occasions, actually. And I come into Dingle often. Yeah, I come in as often as I can. You sometimes come in under under the radar. I, I remember <laughs> meeting you outside a certain establishment on on uh, Strand Street, so uh -huh. ice cream. <laughs> That's right. Well, I, yeah. I mean, well, you know, I don't want my ice cream habit to be <laughs> to be uh, you know as as widely broadcast as it might. I'll tell you. I mean, I could have mentioned ice cream earlier on uh, as being a feature of the Dingle landscape, but anyway, so much. I was wondering whether you might read something from Moy Sand and Gravel, which is uh, behind us here. Um, there's a couple of poems there. Mm -hmm. Would you? Certainly. Yeah, well, I've, I have a selection from it. Um, you know, um, Moy Sand and Gravel is a book that came out in 2002, I think it was. <clears throat> and. Um, uh, so this is one from it. It's a poem that's set in the house that I lived in for quite a while in New Jersey. I've taught at Princeton for many years, <clears throat> actually for almost 35 years. And I've lived in a number of houses there. And <clears throat> in this particular one on the banks of the Delaware and Raritan Canal, um, a canal built by... I think substantially by Irish men, Irish navvies, navigational workers. And indeed, um, 
when I lived there in this house, which had been built, the, the canal was built in the 1830s, I'm pretty sure, um, and about a, a decade that coincided with a huge cholera pandemic, by the way. And many of these Irish workers died from cholera. Many of them died, I think, just from the severity of their labor. And, uh, but uh, I, I, I often, I'm, you know, at, at some level, uh, you know, their spirits or their ghosts were still lurking about the place. I mean, I'm not sure if I, if I believe in that, um, but I'm not sure if I don't believe in it. You know, <laughs> uh, you know, I'm one of these people who, you know, even though I sort of belong to the modern world in some sense, I would be very reluctant to cut down a fairy thorn, for example, if I had one. The Shkak, the <laughs> Indeed, I mean, I wouldn't, I just wouldn't go there. But in any case, um, what else should I be mentioning? Oh, there's an instance um, here, uh, an allusion to an instance of uh, contemporary famine um, in, in Africa. And I got, I, I was, heard this detail of people, um, of people uh, washing, uh, washing out horse manure to uh, to retrieve the you know the whole grains and it's a shocking image and there are a number of shocking images in this poem and in fact at some level I think I'm interested in poems that are shocking uh, in some sense not necessarily um, you know not necessarily that they they, they can't be broadcast before nine o'clock or 11 30 at night just that at some level, they should change how you think about things. Anyway, um, I, yeah, I'll give you a jolt. So, um, I think I've said everything I might about this. The loaf. When I put my finger to the hole, they've cut for a dimmer switch in a wall of plaster, stiffened with horse hair. It seems I've scratched a 200-year-old itch with a pink and a pink and a pinky pick. When I put my ear to the hole, I'm suddenly aware of spades and shovels turning up the gain all the way from Raritan to the Delaware with a clink and a clink and a clinky click. When I put my nose to the hole, I smell the floodplain of the canal after a hurricane and the spots of green grass where thousands of Irish have lain with a stink and a stink and a stinky stick. When I put my eye to the hole, I see one holding horse dung to the rain in the hope, indeed, indeed, of washing out a few whole ears of grain with a wink and a wink and a winky wink. And when I do at last succeed in putting my mouth 
to the horsehair-fringed niche. I can taste the small loaf of bread he baked from that whole seed with a link and a link and a linky lick. Something extraordinary about that poem, isn't it? How and how you you found that image? Yes, what I'd say about that actually is that I I don't myself find them. <laughs> um, you know, I'm a big. I believe totally, utterly in in if one's open to the possibility, you know, and basically just alert. I'd say almost. I say open. I'd say almost supine. Just if I think if you hang out. I think if you walk out into a field, there's a strong chance you'll be hit by something, lightning possibly. And, you know, in that sense, I think the, the, the image uh, found me and the poem found me. I mean, for example, that refrain that it has, which is <clears throat> a kind of nons nonsensical refrain with a pink and a pink and a pinky pick or whatever it is, um, you know, uh, and then... <laughs> Yeah, obviously, when I started the poem, I had no idea that it would allow me to continue in that vein. And and the fact that it did, um, I, I put down totally to it, you know, to it knowing what it what it, what it was doing. Mm -hmm. Certainly not to me knowing what, it, what what my knowing what I was doing. Um, I mean, I've said this many times. I'll say it again. People think I'm slightly crazy, but who cares? I mean. I actually don't really think of myself as, as writing these poems. I think this is true of many writers and, and indeed musicians and I think visual artists. Uh, they feel visited by something if they're super lucky. I put it down to uh, trying to be at the service of some force, you know? And of course, waiting for these things to happen by and large, you have to be at your writing desk. Well, that's, or do you? Well, you know, it depends. I mean, I do occasionally get <laughs> get a little what used to be called a little um, inspiration. You know, a breathe, a breathing upon from beyond. It's again a force from beyond that uh, you know maybe just a phrase or an image that might <clears throat> prove to be fruitful. But but I, I think in general, you're right. I mean, I generally sit down every day, um, not necessarily to write a poem, um, not at all to write a poem, uh, but usually writing something. And, you know, it's maybe only for an hour, maybe half an hour, an hour, maybe a couple of hours. But I think uh, I only I can only figure out what it is uh, that the poem is about through the process of allowing it to get written. So in that sense, you have to be present. I have to be present anyway. I'm sure other people do this in different ways, but I myself have to be there and have to try to be um, alert, is the word I, I used earlier on, I think, and I'd use it again, uh, open to, to what it wants to do, you know? Yeah, yeah. I sometimes go to the Tyrone Guthrie Centre in Anna McCarrick, oh, yes. which I, I'm sure you know. Yeah, I do. A fabulous place. It's a fabulous place, mm -hmm. you know, in that sort of border region of County Monaghan. Mm -hmm. And it feels that things do kind of happen uh, there, you know, not always as in terms of work and so on. 
But uh, one of the things I always think when I'm there, I always think about some of those poems that you wrote about uh, uh, various other artists and so on, you know, which you've done a bit of. Well, you know, first of all, the Anna McCarrig, uh, Jerome Guthrie Centre, as I say, is a fabulous place. And when I lived in Belfast, um, which I did, you know, I was there from 69 to 86, but certainly after Anna McCarrig opened, um, I, I was very lucky to, to be able to avail of it and to, you know, because I was working um, full time and it's very nice to be able to take a week or two weeks and just... Um, um, you know, have nothing else to do but but to stand out in that field and and wait for something to happen. The the sense that you've gone there, of course, and that actually, I mean, there is a little sense that one had better come back with something, <laughs> <laughs> otherwise you sort of feel you're wasting somebody's time and well, wasting your own time doesn't really matter, but there's plenty of that. But um, so anyway, I've met a lot of very interesting artists there, including um, artists from, you know, so many different realms. I've always been very interested in the visual arts. And in fact, I think in many ways, poetry writing, um, I, I was talking earlier, earlier on about these little imagistic poems, the er, some of the earliest poems from the Irish tradition. And of course, um, imagism as a movement in the early part of the 20th century, or imagism, the pun on Amy Lowell. Um, but that, uh, <clears throat> uh, I, I think of poetry writing as actually often being a very visual activity. You know, you're looking at this, then, you're, then, then you stop looking at that, and then you're looking at something else, and there's a reason why one's doing it. It's the same as making films. You know, there's a, there's a, there's a reason why the shot changes. Um, at least there should be, and uh, the um, the motivation for the shot, as, as they used to call it. So, um, I mean, among the people I met there was a, a great painter, going strong, Dermot Seymour, a, a Belfast painter, and uh, I must say I'm a big big fan of his work, and have you know had the privilege of using some of his. Uh, Paintings as as covers. That's right. As on, covers on, on this very book, book the Annals there. of Chile. The Annals of Chile, uh, which uh, has has a, a painting by Dermot uh, on the. What do we see? What's in here? On the cover. And in fact, that would make sense because, for example, here there is a poem, uh, which is set in the vicinity of Anna McCarrig. Just comes to hand there. Do you notice that? Um, and uh, which is dedicated to Dermot Seymour, and it's a poem, it's a kind of musing upon cattle. At the present time, I think there there's a feeling that um, the the cow, which has been such a feature of Ireland, Irish landscape, Irish literature, needless to say, you know, may may soon be a thing of the past. I, I you know, I think. Uh, the cow, the cow presents a bit of a threat mm -hmm. to, to uh, bit of, is a, playing a very particular role in global warming, and all that sort of stuff. But anyway, this was a little, um, a little um, musing, let's call it that, upon the the cow, and it was written. When would this have been written? Sometime in the probably the was it? Yeah, I suppose so. We came out in nineteen ninety four. It's a little bit of amusing on some of the, you know, some of the, the uh, what won't say, 
the uh, border activities um, over the years. Cows, even as we speak, there's a smoker's cough from behind the whitethorn hedge. We stop dead in our tracks, a distant tingle of water into a trough. In the past half hour, since a cattle truck all but sent us shuffling off this mortal coil, we've consoled ourselves with the dregs of a bottle of Redbreast. Had Hawthorne been a gale, I insist, the scarlet A on Hester Prynne would have stood for alcohol. This must be the same truck whose taillights burn so dimly, as if caked with dirt, three or four hundred yards along the Boreen, a diminutive form of the Gaelic, Bohar, a road from Bo, a cow, and Har, meaning in this case something like a thwart. Boreen has entered English through the air, despite the protestations of the OED. Why, though, should one tail light flash and flare, then flicker fade to an after image of tourmaline set in a dark part jet, part jasper or jade. That smoker's cough again, it triggers off from drumlin to drumlin an emphysematophon of cows. They hoist themselves onto their trampoline and steady themselves and straight away divine water in some far-flung spot to which they then gravely incline. This is no Devon cow coterie, by the way, way-faced with spowed hooves and horns, nor are they the metaphysic cattle of Japan that have merely to anticipate scoring a bull's eye and lo, it happens. These are earth flesh, earth blood, salt of the earth, whose talismans are their own jawbones buried under threshold and hearth. For though they trace themselves to the kith and kine that presided over the birth of Christ, so carry their calves a full nine months and boast licorice cashews, on their tongues. They belong more to the line that's tramped these coombs and corries since Cuhullen tramped Aoife. Again the flash, again the fade. However I might allegorize some Oscarabuscara binary bevy of cattle, there's no getting round this cattle truck. One light on the blink laden with what? Microwaves? Hi-fis? Oscarabuscara binary, a twin entwined, a tree, a tureg, a double dung beetle, a plain and simple high-firing party, and off the back of a lorry drogue, enough of Colette and Celine. Celine and Paul Celan, 
enough of whether Nabokov taught at Wellesley or Wesleyan. Now let us talk of slaughter and the slain, the helicopter gunship, the mighty Kalashnikov. Let's rest for a while in a place where a car has lain. Thank you, that's lovely. Thank you. Yeah. Shall we move up across the border and maybe to your kind of home place, you know, County Armagh <clears throat> and some of the poems that have arisen out of that, out of your younger life, perhaps? We could do that. No, along the way, might just uh, uh, actually read a poem that represents a, a, a drive th right the way up through Ireland, as it happens from Dingle. Um, to, uh, to Belfast, where I lived for a long time. Uh, but it might get us kind of in a, sideway, in a sideways fashion to Armagh. Um, so um, <laughs> it, the poem's called Christos. Christo, of course, the great artist, funny, long after I wrote this poem, which I wrote in Dingle, by the way. I must have. Yeah, I did, must have. Um, I, I actually met Christo and Jean-Claude, uh, Claude, his, his uh, partner, uh, and he, of course, was the, <laughs> um, the great artist who, who delighted in um, wrapping, uh, covering in, in fabrics of various kinds, um, you know, bits and, you know, islands in Florida, I think it was, and... Uh, a bridge in Paris or Rome or whatever it was, um, a building in Germany. He was a rapper. <laughs> uh, in the WRAP -W sense. But anyway, so I kind of have a bit of fun with this. And uh, it's... Uh, we'll see what happens. Christos. Two workmen were carrying a sheet of asbestos down the main street of Dingle. It must have been nailed at a slight angle to the same-sized gap between Brandon and whichever's the next mountain. Nine o'clock. We watched the village dogs take turns to spritz the hotel's refuse sacks. I remembered Tralee's unbiodegradable flags from the time of the hunger strikes. We drove all day, past mounds of sugar beet, haystacks, silage pits, building sites, a thatched cottage even, all of them draped in black polythene and weighted against the northeast wind by concrete blocks, old tires, bags of sand at a makeshift army post across the border. By the time we got to Belfast, the whole of Ireland would be under wraps. Like, as I said, one of your man's landscapes. Your man's? You don't mean Christos. So there are two speakers there. Uh, uh, the, the main speaker of the poem and then this other character. I've always been interested in um, the dramatis personae, as it were, of the poem, the characters of a poem. 
I mean, including the speaker of the poem, who is not necessarily, though sometimes not a million miles removed from <clears throat> the historical character who, who, who wrote the poem or had the poem written through them, as in that case. But, um, you know, it's all, it's all, uh, it's all fiction, uh, too, you know, fiction that's kind of moving back and forth into reality and, and, and maybe, um, I suppose at some level, the, the idea is that maybe helps us to uh, understand reality or, or uh, there are those, of course, who would, who, would, who would go so far as to say maybe even bear reality, you know, face reality. You have talked about, you know, the persona in your writing before, haven't you? You know, that notion that we, that we adopt, you know, a persona. Do, do you do that? In your writing, well, you know what I'd say to to that honestly, just as just as you say it, it occurs to me like I mean, um, I mean, I I'm not I'm not quite certain who I am at this moment, you know, I mean I'm someone who's talking, <laughs> and I'm connected in some way to the, I mean Paul Muldoon, but I mean I don't go around, you know, talking like this, <laughs> you know I'm. This is a very particular set, a very particular situation, a very particular contract where I have to talk in a certain way and try to, you know. That's right. It was, wasn't it Philip Larkin who said he hated going around the country pretending to be himself? <laughs> That's right. I mean, yeah, I mean, you, you know, you don't do that. You're, you're doing other things. You're just pottering about. Um, so, you know, there is a, yeah, so the character in the poem is connected to oneself often, but Maybe voice is a better is a better way of you know um, getting at that. Th certainly, that's a concept. I mean, uh, voice is a is a fascinating uh, concept. I mean, and we all we talk about say the poet who has found uh, their voice, her voice, his voice, their voice, um, and we know what we mean by that. But I always think of that as a retrospective thing rather than a prospective thing. And what I mean by that is this. Um, you know, when you read Philip Larkin, whom you just mentioned, you read a poem and you think, <laughs> Philip Larkin wrote that poem. You know, only Philip Larkin could have written that poem. That's right. And uh, so that's the retrospective. When Philip Larkin was sitting down, I'm pretty sure... Uh, to write his poem, or was Yeats was writing down, or John Donne, or Marion Moore, or whoever it was, uh, Nolan Ligonel, whoever it might be, to write their poem, they're not thinking, hey, here I am writing in the voice of um, of uh, Yeats or Nolan Ligonel. In fact, the la that's the last thing they're thinking. In fact, what they're thinking is, I don't want to sound like Nolan Ligonel mm -hmm. or W.B. Yeats. So, uh, I mean, we understand. I do understand by what is. I think by what's meant by that idea of the poet finding their voice. Uh, okay, that they they come to a point where there is something. If they're very lucky, where there is something recognizable about them, you know. Um, but it's not in the sense. Uh, I think we tend to think of it. Uh, you know, one day I'll find my voice, and and after that. It will be plain sailing. Mm -hmm. You know, I'll just turn on the voice 
and there it'll be. It'll come. It'll come. No. So in that regard, um, see, it's it's uh, it, it, In that regard, I believe uh, there's nothing. I don't think I'd be alone in this if one thinks about it. Each poem finds its own voice. That's the key. Uh, I'd say that's 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 the trick, is to find the the voice uh, for that poem, and now. Again, retrospectively, someone will look at the poem. If uh, some, someone may look at it, it's, it's quite conceivable. No one will ever look at it, <laughs> more likely. But if someone might look and say, "Yes, I know who wrote that," but um, that's that's not for the poet to think about, I believe. Yeah, that idea that the poem will 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 um, will will find will succeed, or or it will come to nothing. You know. So the poem has control over that in a sense. Well, yes, it needs to find out how it has to be, you know. It has to find out what its vocabulary is, what its tone is, which is a complex business. You know, it includes vocabulary, point of view, whether or not it's ironised, um, just what its terms are, what its... Um, I mean, in a strange way, what it's... Well, I said term, I mean almost that in the sense of termin, you know, of a boundary. Um, terminus or term, termin in Irish. Um, yeah, what it's, what it's defining characteristics are. And those are, those are not really evident, if even then, until the poem is finished, right? Um, so that, that, of course, is the great adventure. That's... that's that, that's why we do it. Uh, yeah. I'm thinking of your poem, or we talked earlier on about po your poems like Unsure and Roundabout, you know, mm -hmm. which seem to come, well, they begin with that word, don't they? With that sort of, well, certainly Unsure, you know, that sort of, you have, you begin with a word and the thing develops from there. Would you like to read that poem? Sure. Um, I mean, funnily enough, I was up the a few months ago, and in, in, uh, I go back quite often to, to the place where this poem is set, College Land in um, County Armagh. You know, in the north, of course, um, you know, Irish wasn't on the curriculum in, in, uh, in, in the primary school. But we, we did use a few words. We were encouraged to f use a few words of, of the old Irish. And, you know, we would, like, for example, in Wilcadogam Gullamach, do I have permission to go outside to go to the toilet, for example? And and the role was conducted um, with uh, the answer to whether or not one was present in Irish and Shaw, which of course is um, which is pronounced in a slightly different way in in Dingle, I believe. But I'm going to pronounce it in the Donegal fashion because that's I'm from up that neck of the woods. And Shaw, when the master was calling the role. At the primary school in College Lands, you were meant to call back Anne Shaw and raise your hand as your name occurred. Anne Shaw meaning here, here and now, all present and correct, was the first word of Irish I spoke. The last name on the ledger belonged to Joseph Mary Plunkett Ward, and was followed, as often as not, by silence, knowing looks, a nod and a wink, 
the masters drove. But where's our little ward of court? I remember the first time he came back, the master had sent him out along the hedges to weigh up for himself and cut a stick with which he would be beaten. After a while, nothing was spoken. He would arrive as a matter of course with an ash plant, a sally rod, or finally the hazel wand. He had whittled down to a whip lash, its twist of red and yellow lacquers sanded and polished and altogether so delicately wrought that he had engraved his initials on it. I last met Joseph Mary Plunkett Ward in a pub just over the Irish border. He was living in the open, in a sacred camp on the other side of the mountain. He was fighting for Ireland, making things happen. And he told me, Joe Ward, of how he had risen through the ranks to quartermaster, commandant. How every morning at parade, his volunteers would call back Anshaw and raise their hands as their names occurred. Thank you, Paul. We've just time, I think, now for perhaps maybe one or two more poems just to finish up. I can throw it open to you, if you like. Well, uh, let me see. Maybe I'll read a more recent poem. And this is uh, a poem from the book that came out just uh, the other day. It's called, the book is called Howdy Skelp. Howdy Skelp. Um, I'll read a little short poem. It's the first poem in the book. Um, it's called Wagtail. Sometimes as I turn a corner in County Tyrone, a roof of PVC or corrugated iron will scintillate no less persuasively than an unperturbed stretch of lower Loch Ern, abutting the lost kingdom from which my family hails. Primarily a thatcher, my grandfather knew mange was a complaint to which his Clydesdales were all too prone, yet may not have recognised dementia as a trait of the Muldoons. Sometimes a phrase such as Hugh had begun to dote will weigh as a Clydesdale's withers would weigh with withies, while the pied wagtail crossing freshly turned furrows is a tiny rowboat glimpsed now and again in the trough between storm waves. That was Paul Muldoon chatting to Nicholas McLaughlin as part of the 2021 Dingle Lit Book Festival. You've been listening to the Dingle Lit Podcast. If you want to hear more, follow us on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also watch the interview online, look for Dingle Lit on YouTube, or go to dinglelit.ie for more information on upcoming events. Thanks for listening.